Welcome to the Raindrop Corner Podcast, a chill place where creatives and real-life superheroes converge to chat it up about cool things. And I'm your host, Kay. And without further ado, here's an ode to our guest. There is a twisting. Twist, twist. It is an action that is more sound than feeling. Cogs clicking and clacking together, charging the entity that is but a humble servant. Can you feel a sound? Can you feel what a lifetime of understanding, willingness, and pain sounds like? Is it sweet and lifting like Bach? Or does it have the darker foreboding of Mozart's lacrimose? Behold, the song of a humble servant, notes that echo distant ideas and strange lands chiseled deep into a mind lacking, but then taking in knowledge like a sponge until the vase breaks, a bundle of flowers splayed out on the concrete, realizing a change is needed. A change actualized in the form of taking the feared and misunderstood and embracing them, of wanting to heal and share method and manner methodology in the form of let's work together. The backdrop of a purpose realized in the form of a humble servant. There is no pomp and circumstance here, only beads of sweat, swirling of voices, a swirling of voices, a melding of academia, experience, and truth, spilling out from tired but empowered eyes, connected to a superhero that doesn't need or wear a cape, forever and gladly a humble servant. Miriam, thank you for just taking the time to come on to the Raindrop Corner podcast. And like the first time that I was introduced to you was through a support group you were facilitating, but you have a huge background in mental health. Let me ask you, having that huge background in mental health and just thinking about your personal experiences, we are now in a new year. (laughs) We're in 2021. What takeaways do you have from 2020? Wow. Um... Hi, by the way. Um, I'm so glad to be here again. Personal and professional takeaways from 2020. 2020 was one of the most unique years this generation has ever seen. I can't say it's the most unique year ever. Stuff like this has happened before. We just weren't around to see it. Mm -hmm. But it was unique to us in so many different ways. You know, some people lost their jobs. Some people got new jobs. Um, Some people said 2020 was the best year ever for them. Uh, Some people said 2020 was the worst year ever. It definitely exacerbated a lot of people's mental health experiences with depression and anxiety. So there was a, there was many different impacts. Personally, I can't say that 2020 impacted me. I was very, very fortunate. I was able to work from home Mm -hmm. and um, didn't really feel the impact of it financially. I have to say I felt the impact of it socially not being able to to go where i want when i want after 9 10 11 months of that it starts to really take a toll you know so i did notice how much i loved being in the house at the beginning and by december it was like okay same. i think i'm done with my house now i'd like to go somewhere no same i could really so, do yeah, that i mean it's I think, you know, professionally, every time I see somebody and, you know, for the first time and I inquire about what their, you know, presenting problem is, it's it's not COVID related, but COVID has definitely played a part in why they are feeling the way that they're feeling. Because it's, it's just, it's accumulating, right? So if you have financial issues and you already deal with depression and then you might be having a relationship issue and then there's COVID, you know, it's always, and there's COVID. If, you know, people who have kids, they can't really function properly like they used to because of the COVID. Um, You can't get doctor's appointments. You you can't take your kids to doctor's appointments. 
you know, if, if the appointment's for you, you can't take other people with you. So it has affected a lot of people, and, and we are seeing it in mental health greatly. I think our referrals for mental health services have increased at least 100%. Oh, wow. It's, it's, been, it's been tough. Just from what I've seen, and I'm very externally relating it because I'm not in the mental health field, so I don't know the quite the brevity or the weight of what that's been like but just from social media and from my friends and acquaintances and family members everybody has been very candid more so during I think 2020 about the quality of their mental health and how it's affecting them and a lot of people who normally aren't as vocal and normally a little bit more mum on the subject have been very open about the fact they're not doing well or it's been hard for them. But at the same time, something that I felt, and this is just my personal opinion on 2020 as a whole, because it was hard for me, but at the same time, it was hard for a lot of people, but it was also very introspective. And I feel like it helped kind of teach me on a personal level what was important and what wasn't and where I should be devoting my energy and as painful as it is to kind of spend time with yourself sometimes it kind of helped solidify some areas of opportunity that I had in terms of myself and how I should be working through that and now I had time to even though it was a painful experience for a decent portion of it so how has the pandemic and just 2020 as a whole kind of shaped how you maybe want to evolve as a mental health professional? I mean, we've had to, we've had to adjust um, to a, a whole different problem. You know, you spend your, your career, your education learning about these problems that are well documented, um, you know, depression and, you know, domestic violence and substance abuse and all that kind of stuff. Those are well documented problems. We know how to address those things. And now here's a new problem that just began to be documented March of last year, but not even really, um, because we, you know, March of 2020, we we all went home and stayed home, but we didn't think that this was going to be permanent. So I would say September, October is when people in the mental health community really thought and knew, okay, this is going to be a permanent problem, and we really need to learn how to help people with this but first we need to learn how to cope ourselves Mm -hmm. with it and even to to break down the issue like what is the issue going to be what what is how is this going to impact people on a larger scale and it's it's been tough sometimes to try and figure that out again when you talk to somebody you have all of these issues that these people are going through just life issues you know then you have the COVID and and it's just, it exacerbates everything that everybody is going through. And as a therapist, I, I have to realize that just because I had a, a great year, I worked at home um, and I'm a homebody, like you said, like this wasn't terrible. <laughs> this wasn't horrible. Um, not everybody is like that. Not everyone. Some people just absolutely thrive off of being able to socialize freely. Freely. And when they can't, it really presents a huge problem. People can't see their parents, people can't see siblings and whatnot. So we've, in the community of mental health, had to really reshape how we think of people's issues with this, uh, with the pandemic. And then now on top, well, I don't know now, but since maybe the middle of last year, the political strife that the country has been through and the, the racial um, injustice and all of the protests and the, the killings it's it it impacts people even if they don't think it has agree um, and we've had to take that into consideration also with with all of it combined it was just so heavy and very draining i feel like for people of color in terms of a lot of the racial issues going on in the country issues that have been going on for a while but also for everyone in different in different ways like to varying degrees because of the conversations that it caused conversations that were very necessary but it was just a lot and (laughs) much like you said and then there was the covid so yeah and then there's covid yeah (laughs) there was that it's like 
it's you already had enough issues and in 2019 humans already had enough issues Mm -hmm. and then 2020 hit and every single month there was something new it was just like a video game i i was expecting december to be the final boss and aliens to come i was high key Um, waiting for an alien invasion too i was ready for it yeah I thought this is it. It's been every month something huge has gone down. And and that in itself causes pandemonium um, on different levels. You know, people panicking or people who do panic, you know, their panic increasing, um, anxiety is increasing. Some people anxious and they don't even know why. Mm-hmm. And when you take a look at, you know, the breadth of things, it's because everything in this world right now is crazy to us. It's just so much. We're used to a couple things at one time. Maybe a war here, you know, a coups here or there, you know, whatever it may be, an earthquake here. Mm-hmm. But not everything that we've been going through in 2020 all at once. And I think the worst part of it for us as Americans was it was at home. It was all at home. Some of us feel betrayed. Some of us feel unsure, more so than we did you know, before 2020. And we don't know how to cope with that. And that's where you know the, the mental health comes in. Um, and knowing that 40% of people with mental health issues do not go seek treatment, one in five people will have a mental health uh, disorder. That's a lot of people in our that is a huge society amount of people. living with a lot of pain. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. So yeah, that's where we are at. Just trying to break through that, that stigma of saying, hey, come talk to us. It's okay. It's mainly okay now because, hey, there's a lot going on and I can't see anyone being 100% okay. Even though you manage it well and the pandemic affected you and maybe a little bit more of, I guess, a kinder way, if you will, how are you doing? Because you're still a therapist and you still have to kind of take on some of that weight from the clients that you see, even if there is a separation between therapist and client. Are you doing okay? I am. I mean, I see a therapist also. I have a great psychologist that I see and um, and I get to dump on him. But the self-care hasn't really been as prominent in my life as it used to be Mm -hmm. and it's like you know this is florida they didn't really shut anything down like they shut the rest of the nation down so i can't say that it's it's like i didn't have the opportunity to go out i just don't want to i don't want to catch this thing i don't want to give it to somebody if i secretly have it and i don't know it you know if i'm just carrying it i really take this thing seriously i am not a conspiracy theorist I live in reality, you know, that the only thing I believe in is science and data. So if the science says this thing exists and we are seeing it with our eyes and you can read the reports, I believe it. And and I understand how viruses work and are spread. And if I go around other people, I can catch it or I can give it. This is not okay. So I, I take into consideration what the CDC says and I abide by it as well as I possibly can. And so I don't go out yeah and I miss it and honestly I miss it and I don't go do the things that I like to do and I am at home 24 hours a day almost unless I have to go to the store you know and I am at home listening to to people talk about their problems and it can get heavy sometimes and then when I'm not doing that I'm watching CNN and I'm watching our nation burn down and it gets to be a lot it is a lot it's uh, it's very important for us to to maintain our our self-care. Self-care is such a vague term. You know, um, I have to look after my mental health. And um, sometimes it gets overwhelming. I know January 6th, I was I was overwhelmed. And I, I don't get overwhelmed mm-hmm. uh, very easily. But January 6th, I was, I was done that day. I was done for that day. And for a couple of days after that. It, it was, was a really, tough. really heavy day. And I think it, it brought up a lot of the fears and concerns that everyone's been worried about for four years it, for especially yes. over the past course of the last year. So I think that it was just a tipping point in definitively what is our nation? Who are our leaders and how are, do they care? Do they, yeah. 
it was there were a lot of questions in the air in general and i do want to loop back to something that you said because all of that was really heavy so self-care is a word that i feel like people it's kind of like one of those words that people discover like narcissist or sociopath and they overuse it and they don't know (laughs) they don't know what those words mean and i feel like self-care is kind of used that way too like people say it but i think that they don't quite know the scope of what self-care really is or some of the nuances of it what does self-care mean to you and just like on a general sense when you think about it from what you know self-care should be time spent doing something for yourself that has nothing to do with anyone else so taking your kids to the park is not considered self-care um just because you're at the park Mm -hmm. seeing a movie with your kids that they want to see is not self-care Self-care is you doing something for yourself that you like. This is your hobby. This is your love. This is something that is only going to benefit you. And you are actually taking time out of your day and time out of other people's days. Because, you know, we take care of a lot of different people throughout the day and saying, okay, I'm going to take 30 minutes to read my book in a bubble bath. That sounds nice. And rose petals. <laughs> I mean, whatever it may be, that's like the ultimate, right? Or I'm going to just go get a massage, not because it's prescribed by my doctor, but because I wanted to, or I am going to go do a yoga class um, and just take time out of my day, out of my routine, and go do something that is 100% just for me. And then I will rejoin my day and my responsibilities. And making sure that we do that on a regular basis, making sure it's scheduled into our day and our week and making sure it's deliberate and not just by accident. Like, oh, my friend just wanted to um, to have lunch today, so I went with my friend to lunch. That's not self-care. That's having friend, you know, lunch with your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be very pleasant, but you are not focused on you. You are focused on conversing with your friend. Now, some people might say that is my self-care, and that's perfectly okay, too. I am not the final word on what self-care is. Um, But self-care should be a moment where you are really focused on yourself, breathing, relaxing, doing the things that are going to get you recharged for the rest of your week, your month, whatever it may be. I just, I think that's really important. And I thank you for talking about it because I feel like it's an aspect that a lot of people, myself included, I feel like, I didn't fully know what self-care was until this year, or I should say earlier last year, when I finally did get a therapist and finally did kind of understand what the difference is between doing things with people that make me happy and doing things with myself for myself, which are two very different things. So no, thank you for touching on that. And I do want to ask as well, what kind of brought you to mental health? What put you in that realm where you enjoy doing it? You know, they say almost everybody in mental health um, has experienced some sort of mental health issue in their life. And I did not believe that when I got into mental health. Um, I thought I'm, I'm perfectly okay. I'm fine. And I'm not. And no one is perfectly okay and fine. And that is what I've discovered. But I didn't mean to get into mental health. I managed fitness facilities. I was in the fitness industry for 16 years. Oh, wow. And I I was a district manager. I made a bunch of good money. And everybody, you know, in the industry in Seattle knew me. And it was great. And I thought to myself one day, I don't help people anymore. I make money for people. And, um... And that's not, that's not the brand that I want to display to the world. I need to give more than I take. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to become a nurse. I think that sounds good. Become a nurse. But before that, I need an associate's degree to help me get into nursing school. So I'm going to take, I'm going to get an associate's degree in psychology. Mm-hmm. And that'll help me get into nursing school because I think I want to be a psych nurse. And that uh, led me to work at an inpatient facility, a private one, um, just to get some experience because I didn't quite know who I was in mental health. So I said, hey, am I a nurse, am I a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a therapist? What am I supposed to do? So I went and I, I worked there 
and I realized, you know, the nurses, um, they give a lot of medication and they do a lot of charting and I just cannot see that that is my purpose in life. Then I saw what the therapist did and I, and I saw how deeply they touched people, not that the nurses do not. So if nurses are listening to this, I love you. I think you are a pivotal part of our community and our society. But I, I saw myself in the therapist and so I finished my education in psychology and I got my, my master's in clinical social work. And in that journey, you know, the instructors and professors always make you do your work on yourself. So my papers were always supposed to be about me, my experiences, my take on things. And you do enough papers on yourself and you realize I'm not okay. Not that I'm diagnosing myself with all of these um, <laughs> uh, disorders and diseases, because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's the first thing they tell you not to do. But I saw that, you know what, I can now identify what my mother's issue was. I can now identify how I react to it. I do not react well to certain circumstances. Um, and I have spent the past seven years doing a lot of that work on myself, realizing that it's not just people with um, chronic mental illness that are mentally ill. We all have a life illness, which is we are not taught how to process life. It's you know, high true. school teaches us very little. You know, we learn, we learn a little bit of math. Um, some pottery, some sewing. I know I took sewing. I don't know why. Um, Your high no school taught sewing? <laughs> That's pretty yes, cool. Yes, my high school taught sewing. Gosh, I think I learned how to make cookies in high school too, but I couldn't tell you anything else that I learned. And so they they spit you out. You know, this cookie cutter educational system spits you out into the world with no skills, no life skills. Knowing how to do your taxes is great. Everyone should know that. Knowing how to take care of yourself, knowing how to communicate with other people, knowing how to maintain a healthy relationship, that is what makes our society great. We can learn to do taxes and we can learn to build buildings and all that kind of stuff. Um, But who teaches us these skills? Who teaches us how to be human? And so I realized, you know, I'm not just dealing with, um, quote unquote, air quotes, mentally ill people we all need this we all need somebody to talk to we all need to be able to tell someone hey i don't think i handle things well and do that in a safe space and i thought nope this is for me this is for me because it's for everyone and that's really why um, i ended up in mental health and that's such a beautiful perspective because a lot of people and i i feel like maybe the majority think of if I'm feeling depressed or if I'm feeling anxious or if I have something else in the mental realm going on with me, then only then may I need some help. But there's a lot of little things working. So before, prior to us meeting, I facilitated a support group myself. And even though, you know, I don't have quite the mental health background at all that you have. A big thing that I noticed when people would come to the support group is, yeah, maybe they had moments where they felt depressed or anxious or what have you, but mostly they wanted to know how to connect with people in their own community. They wanted to know how to kind of not get over, I don't like that phrasing, but they wanted to know how to navigate being socially awkward or reserved or panicking if they had to go to an event where there's other people because there's a million different things that runs through their head or what they should do as a person what's their purpose in life and I feel like when you get down to it the reality is is we all go through a myriad of experiences that make up the human condition we all know what it feels like to be confused, to be unsure, to kind of take a look at ourselves and not even know who we are. And I think that much to your point, calling it, I think you said a life illness is the phrasing that you used earlier, if I'm not mistaken. That's a beautiful way to phrase it because a lot of people don't think in terms of that. So with that perspective, 
what do you think that you learned most about yourself? Like outside of just that that explanation that you just gave, mm-hmm. what have you learned more about yourself since diving into mental health? I learned that I don't know everything. I learned that I was not okay. I learned that it's not all about me. I learned that I can never stop learning. I learned that every issue I've ever had in my life was 100% my fault. I learned that I can and will take responsibility for everything that has ever happened to me and everything that will ever happen to me is my fault. And the day I learned that was the day I was completely set free from any bond, from any chain, from any aggravation or anger because I knew I had control over my life and I think it is it's widespread in our community in our societies that we say I'm this way because of someone else someone did something to me I am this way because my mom was this way or my parents were this way I had a bad childhood that's why I am the way I am and if we can stop doing that If we can just take the responsibility to say, I processed my childhood in this way. Now I have the ability to process it differently or to go learn how to process it. The ball is now in your court. And I want to make sure that people understand I'm not saying that your childhood was your fault. I'm saying the way you process it as an adult is your choice. The way you process it as an adult is in... uh, in response to what happened as a child, yes. But at some point we have to realize, hey, I had six bad relationships, I've lost three jobs, uh, my friends don't speak to me, my parents don't speak to me. I seem to be the common denominator here. And you know, that's kind of what I had to do to say everything in my life revolves around me, the choices that I've made. I let go of what I think my parents did to me. I let go of what I think my childhood was like. I just had to let that go and say, okay, it happened. If they knew better, they'd have done better. Here I am. This is me. I'm an adult. Now what? Where do I go? How do I move? And the day I was able to do that was the day that I took 100% control of my life, my circumstances, my choices, my future. I am going to be this. My life is going to be this way. I am going to treat people like this. Here's how I'm going to set my boundaries. And everything changed. Everything changed that day. And it has been, you know, a a great journey since then. So I would say really taking control of my life again uh, is my biggest takeaway of mental health. It's hard. It's hard to do, but it's freeing. It has to be freeing to have not only accountability, but I feel like a sense of self-awareness because to do that, you have to be very in tune with yourself and how you're affected by the relationships in the world around you. And I feel like that's just such an amazing takeaway. And that's something that I feel like a lot of people could stand to reflect on. Thank you for sharing that. What has been the single most inspiring thing for you throughout your mental health career? One of the most inspiring things is knowing that I am a very, very small part of a huge picture. And that doesn't sound very inspiring. (laughs) Um, I love the thought of being insignificant, mm-hmm. not important, and still being able to touch people's lives. You know, I can I can touch a few lives. I'll, I'll probably touch a few hundred or thousand by the end of my lifespan if I'm lucky. But that it's not about me. It's never going to be about me. My life, my world, the, the, the bubble I've created for myself is about this entire planet, everyone that's on it, and everyone that shares the same airspace as me. It's not about me, and it's not about you, and it's not about my neighbor. Uh, It's about us collectively. What can we do together? 
you know, I'm, I've been watching politics a lot. Um, it is not something that I typically do. I hate politics. But I've been watching it a lot because um, if I don't learn about it on my terms, someone else will teach me on their terms and I don't function that way. But um, I respect that way of looking at it. I'm the same yeah. way. <laughs> I don't like it either. But I'm informed because I want to know for my own well-being and other people's well-being as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. But our current president... He says time and time again, we can do anything if we do it together. Mm-hmm. And and he's not wrong. You know, it's such a simple statement. It's such a simple term. And it's so cliche at this point. Oh, we can do anything if we do it together. But we haven't even tried. And, and so it can't be cliche until we are all just doing it and trying. Um, and so, you know, in my world, that is what I'm most thankful for is that I went from being somebody who really did think about me and, you know, how things affect me and why did you do that to me to how is this going to affect everything around me? How can I be effective in my, in my life? Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, in his masterclass, if anyone gets to watch his. It's amazing. He's, he is my God. In case anyone wants to know who I pray to, um, <laughs> he is my God. And he said that his father was, of course, his inspiration. His father was a, um, a civil rights activist. And he said his father told him, you don't, it's not enough to be right. You have to also be effective. And oh that's huge. It is. That's huge. It's, it's, you don't have to be right. I don't have to be right. Because I can tell you a fact and you can walk away with nothing. You can just tell me, oh, Mary Ann was wrong. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Because I wasn't effective. I was just right. So I now have turned my focus on how do I communicate with people in an effective way. How can I communicate with people who don't want to hear me? Because that's going to be a lot of the times, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether it be in my personal relationship or, you know, at work or with clients, you're not always going to want to hear what I say, but if it's a fact, I really want you to hear it and feel it, especially if it's going to help you some way in your life. So I need to learn to communicate effectively. And that is really the, the new journey that I am on at this moment. It's kind of ironic because same, I have taken a step back to always to, to now assess how I'm responding to other people and just kind of reverting back to what you said I do find that incredibly inspirational what you said about feeling like a smaller part of an integral system that touches and reaches everyone or at least tries to because I know that there's but I think I think that's wildly important and I think it says a lot about you personally that you you see the beauty and being a part of that and doing your best to touch as many people that you can within your power, but also understanding that there are other people that do the same and that there are other areas of opportunity in that system. So I, th- I think that's beautiful. Thank you for, for coming on and for speaking with me today. Cause I, first off, I miss speaking with you. when we were in when you facilitated the support group one of my favorite things about going to the support group was you and just your sincerity and your willingness to learn new things and challenge yourself and I think that's the most beautiful aspect of it all when you look at somebody and you know that they genuinely love what they do and they they love seeking to understand. I think that's something that's very lost nowadays. And there's just either a need, like you said, to either be right or to kind of have somebody snap their fingers and magically everything is okay or it's understood. And you're not like that. And it's very refreshing. <laughs> you know, um, facilitating that group, I think the first time, um, around the first day, I would say it was only the first day was very, ner- I want to say nerve wracking, but I, I was very nervous because I am not part of the community. And for context, this was, um, this was an LGBT plus support group that, um, one of, one of the hospitals in town actually started up and 
Miriam was a facilitator of it, just to add that context. I think yes. I think that's a very yes. valid concern to have. Um, going into the space, I was aware, because I was made aware early on that one of the facilitators is part of the community, one of the facilitators is not. And I was very open to that, because I feel like not just change but camaraderie doesn't just come from within the community it comes from outside of it too and i feel like and not just in lgbt plus spaces but in any space with a marginalized group of any kind there is oftentimes a lot of well if this person isn't part of this group i don't want them here because i don't necessarily trust them i don't know if they're going to have my best interest at hand they don't understand and I feel like it's important for the people who want to be allies or want to be present, it's important to have them there so that they can understand what people within these multiple communities go through. And I will say that I think you did a hell of a job, honestly, based off of how you facilitated and how open and welcoming you were to everyone in the group. I didn't feel the weight of you not being in the community. I wasn't, I didn't even think about that at any point during any of the meetings. And I have it on good authority that nobody else did either. That was, um, that was my goal. And I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, but I, I knew how I was going to respond. I had researched it. I had asked questions and I was ready although I was never faced with it, I was ready for the comment of, well, how would you know? And why are you even here? And you are not relevant. I was ready because, you know, even if I was part of the community, it doesn't mean that my experience was going to be like anyone else's. And like, if, if I was teaching a substance abuse um, class or a peer support group for substance abuse and I have never had experience in substance abuse um, I still do not have to be part of that community to support you because this is about support it's not about knowing exactly what the other person has gone through because I'll never know what anybody goes through no matter how um, relatable our experiences are I will never know you Kayla, I will never know and understand what Kayla goes through, but I will always be willing to listen and learn and walk by your side. And that is what I wanted to relate to the group is I am here to facilitate. I'm also here to learn. And I'm also here to let everybody know that I am an ally and I am an advocate. And you know, a minority group has a very hard time advocating for themselves because they are the minority. It's true. No one's going to listen to the minority group. The majority will never listen to the minority group. I promise you. It just doesn't work that way. Humans don't work that way. So the majority have to somehow connect to the minority, parts of the majority, the advocates, and say, okay, what's going on in this community and how can I help? How can I relate this message back to the majority and educate them and let them know, hey, you're wrong. And here's how I know. And I do that all the time. I was going to say every day, but I, I'm not faced with this every day. I do it all the time when people say really, really outlandish stuff like, oh, well, people choose to be gay. I said, well, hey, wait a minute. No, we're not going to do that. Here's what I know for a fact. Here's what I know from experience. Here's what the people in the community have told me. And I have relevant background to be able to combat that in the majority because of that group. Um, also because I have many, many friends um, who are in the community. Um, I have had clients that are in the community, but that I don't think any of those experiences really um, added up to what that group really was able to offer me. Because I got to listen to individuals express how they felt, not just, you know, being part of the community. And and so I can go back and tell folks, hey, you're wrong in saying this. You're wrong in thinking this way, and here's why. And I do it often. 
I do it every chance I get. And I think that is our responsibility as a majority, whatever majority you're a part of. You know, if mm-hmm. if you're a male and you hear people bashing women, if you know you're you're white and you hear people bashing anyone of a minority, it is your moral and human responsibility to tell them that they are wrong and explain why, and at least plant that seed. It may not make a difference that day or the next day, but at least they know that someone who looks like them or thinks like them thinks that they're wrong, and that there might be you know some work that they need to do on themselves and. And that's what I really appreciated out of that group. And, and I hope for everyone that they can take a look at a community that they don't know much about or a community that intimidates them and just engulf themselves in it and say, hey, I think I am prejudiced because I am scared. And I'm going to go and get as much information as I possibly can so that I don't have to feel this way anymore. That's a very powerful statement. Because I find that, and just using some of the reasons that I've heard, I think that I am prejudiced because I am scared. When you, just my experience in the LGBT plus community, a lot of the adversity that I've faced or I've heard other people face has come from a place of fear. As a person of color, the way that people treat me, whether it's being afraid that I'm going to steal or afraid because my friend who happens to have locks in their hair, they're afraid we're going to do something to them or that we have drugs or afraid that we're up to no good or afraid of what we're doing to a neighborhood or to a country or as a woman, you know, afraid that I have this agenda or because I worked in the tech industry as a women, woman, there, were, there weren't a lot of female managers. There weren't a lot of females in the tech industry. So afraid that this woman is going to come along and take their job or take away from the contributions that they've spent a great deal of time working on. All of those things are synonymous with the idea of fear and the feeling of it and It's just, it's, to me, it's very impactful that you said it that way, because I don't think that, I mean, I think that I've known that, but I don't think I've ever thought about it in that way, that somebody is prejudiced because they are scared or because they are fearful. There's, Kayla, there's no other reason. Um, And and I'll tell you this, and, you know, um, people may disagree with me, and that's okay. They can call me. (laughs) Um, if I am big and strong and I am sure about myself, I am confident and I don't really think that there is a threat to me. I don't bother anybody. Right. And I'll give you an example in nature. The elephant doesn't go around bothering anybody anybody and there's a reason for that the elephant has no reason to they are at the very top of the food chain other than human beings we're not going to throw humans into that because we know how awful we can be um, with animals (laughs) but um you know the lion the lion does not go around bothering people other than its prey you know um it's animals that are small it's animals that are vulnerable it's animals that are scared that bite it's the big dogs that are quiet it's the small dogs that bark all the time and there's a reason for this and it's no different in humans it's no different in humans oh my gosh oh my gosh um (laughs) there are more people bitten every year by poodles than by rottweilers But there's a reason for that. You know, when you're big and strong and confident, not just big and strong, but confident in knowing that nothing can touch you, why go around bothering anyone? That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of energy Mm -hmm. to put forth for no reason. But it's when you are vulnerable, when you think that you have deficiencies within your character, within your thought process, within your race, if you think your race is deficient for some reason, which is just a, a silly, silly thought. Um, if you think your gender is deficient, if you, whatever it may be, 
if you see that there's holes in you and you think that other people might be able to uh, identify that you have holes in you, you are going to push them away. If you find a community that you don't know anything about, but you've heard a lot of awful stuff about and you're just afraid, well, you know what? That community is wrong. I guarantee you, if you if you let me in front of a bunch of racists or a bunch of prejudiced people, whoever they're prejudiced against, it doesn't matter. And I ask them, why do you think this way? They would have no good response. It would not be an academic one. There would not be anything with any type of evidence-based background. It would just be because I do. Because I always have been. And, and that is a fear response. It is, I'm afraid of you. I am, and we are all afraid of things we don't know. You know, before I dive into water, I'm afraid. So I have to go look underneath it to make sure there's not rocks. That's natural. Mm -hmm. If I don't know what's there, I'm not going. That's natural. And so prejudice is the love child, hate child of fear. And that, that is the bottom line. That is the bottom line. And the way that we combat that is what I was just talking about is we just learn me. I can do it. I can do it for a whole bunch of us in this majority. I can learn about a minority group and I can come back and I can tell the majority, Hey, you guys are wrong. And here's why. And in every single minority group, whatever it may be, it is our responsibility to do so. And if we just have enough of us, the advocates that can learn about it, come back and tell the majority, hey, you're wrong and here's why, we can make a dent in this thing. We truly can. It's not enough to sit back on your couch and complain about how much you hate the status that our community is in. Um, oh my gosh, there's so much hate in this world. Yeah, I'm going to post about it on Facebook and then you go to bed. That's not enough. You're not doing enough and I don't want to hear it at that point. And the only people that see it are the people on your friends list, the people that follow you, mm -hmm. the people yeah. who are more likely to go through that prejudice you don't know, most likely, or they are your neighbors, or maybe people in the businesses that you frequent every day, or mm -hmm. people at your work, and you're right. And I think that's something that I became especially aware of last year, I'm like, there are so many people talking about how upset they are. And most of these people that I know personally, while if they heard it, they might correct that person. They would do so reactively and not effectively. And they are not actively seeking to put themselves in spaces where they can make the most difference. But Kayla, we're not always going to have, um, you know, a soapbox. We're not always going to have a platform. So like you stated, it's really important that everywhere you hear it, that you have a response for it. And you're ready for, for that conversation, that you have a, an academic response. But at, at work, if someone states something that's, um, that's hateful or untrue um, in your own family, mm -hmm. um, wherever you're at, um, I do it in public. And I probably shouldn't. Um, but, you know, when people, when I hear, you know, really hateful speech in public, I, I stop and I say something and it may get me in trouble, but that's okay. I, um, I have a license to carry, so I'm fine. Um, <laughs> I'm a Floridian. I'm a um, Floridian. Come at me. But, you know, it is my responsibility and I cannot sit down and at the end of my lifespan, I, I'm, I don't want to have to say, you know, boy, I should have done I should have done more. Man, I should have really responded back to that one person. I don't want I don't want that to be my life. And if I can just change one person's mind, and you know, again, to the people listening, you're not always gonna change a mind. You might just plant a seed. And that's okay. That's okay. It might be your seed and they might have heard it three other ways, and finally that seed is gonna start to grow one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay too. You're not, you're not going to always make huge impacts. Um, but yeah, everywhere you go, every chance you get, you have to say something. It's not okay to just be upset and angry, um, about it. My kid always comes to me, mom, did you, did you hear about this? And Trump did it. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it? 
don't don't come to me i love that response I do. I love that response. And she gets, you know, because she's young, she gets angry and she stomps away. She's like, I just wanted to tell you. I said, well, thanks for telling me, but do you, do you have a solution? What are you going to do? Are you going to get a degree in political science and go and run for Congress? Because that's a solution. That's a solution. Are you going to go become a lawyer and run for the Senate? Because that's a solution. You know, until we have like a, I'd love to see a, a half black caucus, you know, a Senate that's um, half black. It it would be refreshing. And, just, oh my gosh! Just, I mean, we're getting there. We are gradually, very, very gradually, very gradually, very gradually. But that's what I tell people who come to me with complaints, attempt to create change in my community. And where is that going to lead? I don't know. I'd I'd love to run for. Uh, for a seat in Congress, and that's maybe later on. Hell, I would vote for you. Because I have a mouth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know you would. There's a whole lot of people in Florida that wouldn't. You know, but it, again, back to what we were talking about, um, with with the group, it was my pleasure and my honor to be surrounded by such awesome people. And I don't even, I don't see anyone as like, you're a part of this community or that. I see you and I know that you are part of the community and I respect that. So I'm not blind to it. I just saw some really great people who have some issues that were unique and some issues that were not very unique and which makes us all very similar. And I think that's a beautiful part of humanity is even though we're all, you know, air quotes different, we're very same. We're very, very much the same as well. Um, and we can relate on a lot of different aspects of life that really can bring us together. We're not, we don't have to have that much distance between us. And uh, you guys are absolutely awesome. And I appreciated how much I was uh, invited in and warmly embraced. It was awesome because I was scared. That's fair. I think, honestly, I think I appreciated it more to have an ally there. I really appreciate it stepping into that space and it just solidified for me how, I mean, I knew this before and I've always lived my life this way, but it solidified how important it is to embrace your allies just as much as you do people in the community. I feel like, and granted, there are normally experiences that shape that belief but it is very common for an alarming amount of different communities to shun people who are outside of those communities. Or if they embrace them, it is conditional. It isn't unconditional. And I really would like to see and how I choose to live my life is to embrace everybody in that way. Because if I treat everybody with kindness and if I love everybody and if I value their experiences just as much as I value my own, it is it is a good gateway for them to see, oh, this is how it is in this community. I really hear what these individuals are saying. I hear what they've been through and I want to advocate for them. It becomes this very symbiotic relationship because you're right. When I came to group, I saw you as a person. I wasn't thinking, oh, this person is an ally. It wasn't even that. It was, this is another human being that exists on this planet that I live on. And I feel like that's how we need to start seeing each other in a very general sense. And that's part of the reason, a big part of the reason why we got to the point that we got to as a country To where now there is a lot of healing that needs to be done. And on the one hand, you have some people that are finally tired of everything and the weight of it all and they are willing to do that healing. But you have a lot more people that aren't there yet. And like you said, it is everyone's moral responsibility to be an advocate for each other. And the more people do it, the more that seed will grow and the better the planet will become and it will be an arduous journey but it is a journey that's always worth it human beings are worth it they are i live in a world and i work in a world where i hear a lot of awful things and it's very easy to lose hope in humanity but then you see the beautiful stuff you know 
um, I saw an interview last night on CNN with an 18 year old boy who called the FBI on his father, who was going to um, to participate in the January 6th um, siege mm -hmm. on the Capitol. And he said, I love my dad. You know, I love my dad and I'm sorry for what I did, but my dad's wrong. And that's, that's that glimpse of light, that glimpse of hope that it's like, okay, you know, you can't, you can't let everything that you see in here make you think that that is the majority of human beings because it's not. I think when, um, when you put our feet to the fire, the majority of human beings want to help and do not want to hurt. And even people who are, you know, maybe a little prejudiced here and there still have good in them. They, they're just misguided, miseducated, and, and afraid. We are good people, and it is also our moral and ethical responsibility to remember that about one another. You know, um, it's tough these days where now when you see somebody who is a, a Republican, we associate them with Trump, and that's not okay, and I'm teaching that as well. At the same time, you know, Trump doesn't mean Republican, and Republican doesn't mean Trump. Agreed. Um, you know, Democrat doesn't mean great person. Don't do that. It doesn't. You Any know, no. anybody can be anybody can make bad choices and decisions, mm -hmm. regardless of what side of the party line they yeah. fall on, who they voted for, whether they're gay or straight or somewhere on the spectrum. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm -hmm. These labels are terrible, and hence why I have not allowed anyone to label me with anything. And I don't, I don't like partitions. I don't like groups, and I don't like boxes. And I just, I am human. I am of planet Earth, and that's pretty much it. That's all you can really prove. I don't want anything to do with anything else. Uh, I say that because the minute you say I am this thing, you have excluded yourself from some other things, and people now put you into a very convenient box. Like if I was to say I, and I'm not, but let me just going to use one. If I was to say I am Muslim, well, now I'm in a box and, um, you know, people are going to treat me a specific way and some people are going to side with me and some people are going to hate me. And, and I, I hate the boxes that we put people in and I understand why we put people in them. It's, we have to know how to treat people, but I think it's, it's more than that. The, the boxes we use in life are, are used to know how to discriminate against people. That's very you true. Know, when, we, when we categorize people, it is for many reasons, but the, I think the main reason is so I know how safe of a person you are. And if I don't think you're safe, if you don't fall into one of my safe boxes, I can't mess with you. Instead of just getting to know the person you know, at their core. Agreed. I think m more so my work as a facilitator kind of made that hit home for me because I don't think I thought about it in the same way until I met people who identified very differently than I do. And because I would catch friends or even family members being like, well, who is this person? Or you know, what kind of people do they date or what's their background? And then I thought to myself, I'm like, why, why does that matter? Because it shouldn't. And if it comes up, it should come up organically in conversation because you've taken time to get to know that person as a person. And we do, we purposely put people in boxes so that we do know how to treat them. And it's a very self-serving action. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I find it frightening because I don't even, the, the way that we created those mental schemas for ourselves is um, it's not very independent. It's, it wasn't a very independent process. You know, our, those mental schemas were created for us by our family and by media. Mm -hmm. And we didn't, you know, unless you are, you know, unless you're a free thinker and that happens somehow throughout your life where you said, oh my gosh. I've been, I've been sheep. I don't want to be a sheep anymore. I'm going to be a shepherd and I am going to go on this path of enlightenment. 
then you do think how your your culture thinks. You think how your family thinks. And that's scary to me because I have my own unique thoughts that are very different than my family, very different than my culture, for sure. Um, and I don't want to think like you just because I share the same blood um, or I share the same ethnicity. That's silly. I want to think like me. And, and it's I a disservice everyone, to you. It is. It is. I want everyone to give me the opportunity to make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't put me in a box. Don't sh- don't shut me out. Give me a, give me a shot. You know, we could end up being really great friends. Uh, you never know. And and that is that's the message I give to everyone. Is just give everyone a shot. You know, it's I know it's scary, but you could end up being best friends with someone that you thought you were gonna hate, and you would have missed out. And that's what I see the world doing. A lot of missing out. It's true. And it's it's sad. But I have I have hope for people. Mm -hmm. They're irritating. People are the worst sometimes. (laughs) But (laughs) I have hope for them. There has to be hope because you know what? We can't go any further down than we've already gone. This is very true. We can't. I mean, we kill each other for the sake of being different. It can't get worse than that. We have already committed genocide. We can't go lower in our humanity. It has to go up from here. And, you know, hitting rock bottom is not a terrible thing. No, it's a teaching tool. I feel like the way we were doing things for so long just wasn't working. And finally, it came to a climax where everybody collectively was like, I don't want this anymore. In some form, and like some of those forms are very detrimental to society, but they are things that happened so that we could be better if we want to be and if we actively take strides towards that. Yes, yep, agreed. It is. It's going to be a collective effort, and it's going to take a while. We're not. We're not there. This this country is young. This country is very young. It Our is very young. Is very young. Yeah, we're we we not we, but some people here act like, oh my gosh. We've been here forever. This is how we're going to be. Or you guys should get over it. No, we kind of just started this thing. Other cultures are, you know, seven, 8,000 years old. This culture is only a couple hundred years old. Mm-hmm. So we, and we are feeling that. We are feeling that. There's still people who could, who could tell you my, my grandfather or great grandfather was a slave. Mm-hmm. So please don't tell anyone to get over it or that it was a long time ago. It's very fresh. It's very recent. I'm not even sure the stitches are out of this thing. It's still very delicate and we are still growing in it and we have to be very patient with one another. It is. And over in Europe, there were there were groups in like provinces that went to war for like, I don't know, a thousand years because it took a long time for that deep seated hatred to change overseas you have countries that are still at odds with each other, even if they aren't at war per se, because of the tension derived from all of the pain and the mutual atrocities that they put each other through. So with that being said, oh, yeah. yeah, it's I mean, it's a very naive way to think when you think about the country to not factor in the fact that we are young. It doesn't mean that people aren't deserving of respect because they are, but it's not all that abnormal to think that there were going to be big changes and just huge events like this happening because of how we treat each other, because we're still healing from all the negative things that have happened. And probably will have to heal from more negative things that will happen but hopefully it builds to like a better future in time i have so much hope in this generation what is it z millennials and and z yeah i get i get so confused i know i'm a millennial like they keep they keep adding fucking alphabets to everything and i can't keep um, i can't keep up with it all i'll just say this new generation you guys are amazing. You are our future. You are our hope. You are so open-minded and loving and accepting. Even I'm a, I'm a generation Xer. I'm old. Um, 
we were open-minded, but to a degree. You know, it, it came with stipulations for us sometimes. Um, but, you know, we raised our children to be more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us, I'm not saying everybody. But this new generation is on fire and they are fierce. And I can't wait. People talk about them. Like, oh, my gosh. Can you imagine a, a millennial or a Gen Z being in office? I absolutely can. And I, I fear for anyone who gets in their way. It's going to be amazing. I'm excited for it because it's a change that needed to happen. And I think that it corresponds with good parents, like the good parents out there, even the parents that weren't as good and those actions were able to teach their kids to be better. And they were able to use those experiences, the experiences that they're currently having to make better choices and to make choices that honor people who truly have shaped this country in positive ways. People like Dr. Martin Luther King, um, people throughout the ages who have just done things in service of the country and making it better. So I'm really, really excited about it too. Absolutely. And you know, all those, the, the people who've done really, really great things, I think they have one thing in common within their childhood and their upbringing is they were allowed to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. If you just allow somebody to make up their own mind, they will choose properly. I promise you they will. I promise you we are innately not bad or prejudiced or hateful. It's when you try to to shape someone's thought process. And instead of teaching them how to think, you teach them what to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just leave them alone, leave, leave our little <laughs> brains alone, let us come up with our own solutions and, and our own choices we will choose the right thing. It's that I think is innately born in us that we know, we know that hating somebody is wrong. We just don't know why we do it. We don't know how to stop doing it. And we're scared to not do it anymore because it means that we lose our sense of self because mm-hmm. we've identified so much with being this way that if I don't, if I don't hate this group anymore then who am I, you know? And that, that comes with uh, generational, um, prejudice and, and all of those things but just if you just let us think for ourselves we're gonna be just fine I agree with that and thank you so much this was an awesome conversation I thoroughly Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and you are welcome back anytime that you would like to come back I will come back as often as you want me to <laughs> I love you Kayla Huggins I love you, Miriam Archer. Thank thank you for everything that you do and for just being on this planet. And it's people like you who make me remember how beautiful human beings are. And that's a really that's a really cool way to feel. And it's a great way to start a Saturday. <laughs> so <laughs> But no, thank you for coming Absolutely. on the show. Thank you so much. Of course, thank you. And to everybody else, I'll see you next time. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and you make all of this magic possible. The Raindrop Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard listening platforms. And before I leave you today, I do want to give a shout out to all of our graduates out there. There are a lot of people that graduated Um, I want to give a shout out to all of the people in the nonprofit communities and the artistic communities sharing their knowledge and championing and abdicating for different spaces. I see you, I hear you, and I appreciate all of you. And I just wanted to share a little love with you before I left everyone today. Until next time, everyone.